just to start, you know, uh, things off before, um, when I talk about health and wellness, I think most people probably can get on board with those topics. Um, it's pretty normal for most businesses to have that uh, on their radar. When I throw in the happiness there, you know, uh, I think sometimes maybe uh, I might lose some people. So we're thinking that we're going to get a little warm and fuzzy. Um, but I can assure you that uh, we're not going to get warm and fuzzy today. Um, when we, when I think about health, wellness, and happiness um, as as a sort of a workplace construct, um, it's backed by cold hard science. So today, uh, what I'm going to go through with you guys is just. Uh, it's all evidence-based, it's all results-driven, driven, and it's all backed by science and research. Um, so I just wanted to set the sort of the table stakes there at the front that, um, that this, is, this is not going to be a warm and fuzzy, it's going to be all evidence-based and, and very practical in terms of uh, the impact uh, that you can have inside of an organization. So in terms of the agenda, uh, I've broken down the, top, the, the topic into five different sections. Um, I think they naturally flow together um, in terms of uh, why this stuff is important. Um, and I think it's important to get into the, uh, the why before we get into the what and the how. So I'm going to start with some perspective just in terms of framing uh, where I think uh, wellness sits in, in, as a mindset. Um, a little bit about the, the role of the work, sort of the role of work and the workplace um, and why wellness fits into that and why the workplace can be uh, the best conduit for wellness for uh, individuals. Uh, and then I'm gonna talk a little bit about the opportunity. So what that all means in terms of um, what I would call a wellness 2.0 framework, um, and then a little bit um, on an action plan. So um, kind of something I'd like you to think about um, throughout the webinar, um, and I'm sure you know a lot of us have thought the last year about a lot of these bigger questions. Um, and in the context of wellness, I just you know in the workplace and the way I'm going to frame this, you know, we kind of think about you know these bigger questions uh, about like why are we here, um, the work we do, the place we go to work, the people we work with. You know, I think uh, a lot of us has, have probably thought long and hard about it over the last year, given what we've gone through. Um, and probably have some pretty good ideas of, you know, when this thing is done um, or whatever version of done that is um, to start to think about, you know, what that means and maybe some changes that, uh, that I might make. So some ground rules uh, before I dive into the content. Um, first and foremost, uh, I'm not an expert. Um, I would call myself more of a curious observer. Um, as a benefits guy, I spend, you know, the technical part of my days uh, working with employee benefits programs and companies. This just naturally drives me to think about why these programs exist, um, what they can do for employers and what they can do for employees. Uh, but the big part is I think that the ripple effect um, of wellness is tremendous. And so I spend a lot of my sort of uh, free time, whatever that is, um, on the topic uh, and kind of what's happening and, and the latest and greatest research. The second is that today is not a how-to session, uh, so I'm not going to get into like tactical details. Um, I'm going to have more of a perspective outlook, so it's not prescriptive. Uh, it's more about what the what the outlook of of wellness is um, for employers and employees. Um, anybody who wants to get into the prescriptive side, 
um, just reach out. I'm happy to connect. Um, obviously, that's the, the fallout of, of everything that's in here today. Um, and then the other piece I think that's an important ground rule is uh, it's really important when we're talking about wellness, especially like workplace wellness, um, authenticity is required. I think authenticity kind of maybe gets overused a little bit. Um, but you know, if you're an employer or in a role in an employer where you have an impact on, on wellness, um, I think you need to be very clear with sort of where it fits in your philosophy. Um, if you don't feel that wellness is kind of the role or the responsibility of the employer, I think you're better off just to be uh, upfront and state that um, rather than try to fake it or, or do something super superficial. It uh, doesn't mean that you don't care. Um, I think it's just, it's, it's far better to be sort of be open and honest about where this fits uh, inside of your workplace. Um, another ground rule I just want to put out here is, is, and I call this the popsicle approach. And wellness is not necessarily a lunch and learn or office yoga or office massages or those kind of things. Um, those are all great. Uh, they can be good culture builders. Uh, it can be a nice reward for people. Um, but, you know, maybe a little bit of goodwill, uh, but those kinds of things don't necessarily change behaviors. And so it's like a popsicle. It's great. It's nice. It's a nice treat. No lasting impact. Probably not a lot of change. Uh, maybe a little bit of appreciation and, and uh, goodwill. And then finally, the last ground rule, kind of as I laid out at the start, let's stick to the facts. Um, all of what I'm gonna to present today is based on research data and evidence. And so that's the foundation for, um, all, for everything that you're gonna see uh, going forward. So let's start with, and again, I, as I said, when I went through the agenda, I wanna start a little bit about the why side of things. So, you know, why is employee health, wellness and happiness important? Why does the workplace matter when it comes to these topics? Uh, so I thought it would be fun to do a little bit of a quick walk back through time uh, in terms of setting the stage for where we are today and this kind of this big shift that, that is happening right now and probably, you know, to be expected is going to happen coming out of COVID. And so uh, this is going to be a little bit of a, a walk back in time um, that I think is pretty interesting. And if anybody wants, I found a great website that kind of had the sort of this retrospective look back at the workplace. Um, if you think back to kind of the 1950s, uh, this is post-World War II, you know, the, the workplace, uh, this was the rise of the middle class, clear separation between work and home, very hierarchical, corner office for the boss. Um, and, you know, the, the workplace in terms of the office setting was very much uh, inspired by the factory floor. In the 1960s, you know, is this, we start to see a little bit of, I love this picture where, where people are smoking in the workplace. We couldn't imagine that now, but... Um, you know, there was kind of this, this blending of kind of work and social. Um, and uh, one of the cool things that I read about the kind of the framing of the 1960s workplace was it was the birth of the three martini lunch. So there were some good things that came out of the, the 60s, maybe. Um, in the 1970s, uh, we saw the rise of, of the conglomerate. So this is, you know, big push to private sector, big business, big corporations uh, coming on the scene. It's kind of the big office setting. 1980s, uh, this is the emergence of the computer, uh, the starting of the internet, um, and what we would call kind of the starting of that nine to five culture uh, in the workplace. So, 
this shift of, 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 of a bit more of a tie to the workplace um, in terms of the blending of uh, kind of work and life that maybe didn't exist throughout the 50s and 60s. Um, 1990s is the rise of the dot-com. So this is the, the birth of the internet or, or the growth of the internet. Um, the, the start of casual Friday. Uh, and I would say, you know, in terms of looking back, this is, this is kind of the start uh, where we start to lose that clear line between work and life. Um, and things have started to kind of blur together between those. And the 2000s, this is the tech boom. Um, they called it the death of the cubicle. So the concept of the open workplace. Um, but it's, it is the beginning of, of kind of the always connected uh, workplace and always on. When we look at the last decade prior to where we are right now, you know, big tech, social media, uh, we're always on, we're always connected. We can work from anywhere. A ton of these productivity tools, uh, we will call them, um, but basically that have tied us to the workplace kind of 24 seven. Um, and so cue COVID, um, obviously this huge disruption. Uh, and so what I would like to sort of the, the kind of the idea of looking back at the workplace in terms of where we are now in this always on, always connected is kind of, so now what, like what role does the workplace play? Um, and what does that mean kind of post pandemic? And then where does that tie into when we think about things like employee health, wellness and, uh, and happiness? Here's my take. So if you think about this for a second, we spend a lot of time at work. Um, during COVID, it's probably even more. Uh, yesterday, I clocked in at probably around eight o'clock in the morning and clocked out probably around 7.30. Uh, I think my wife did some version of the same. Uh, that's probably not a normal routine for us, but it's definitely not an anomaly either. Um, after the last year, we just went through, I think it's, you know, it's time that we kind of rethink um, and I'm going to steal from Terry's if anybody who was at Terry's presentation last year where he framed, you know, employees as investors instead of assets. Um, and so I think for a lot of us, there will be some reframing about how we invest. We have this this massive block of time uh, that we spend at work. And so I think there's going to be a, a shift in the workplace in terms of reframe, reframing, you know, how we invest our time, our talent and our skills. Um, and so, you know, what the workplace means to us is going to shift. Um, if you worked at a company over the last year that has a great culture, the last year probably just reinforced that. So cue the gratitude uh, for being part of that kind of an organization. If you worked at a company over the last year that has a crappy culture, um, it was probably miserable. Um, you know, many of the things that maybe made the workplace tolerable so things like social connections or friends um, in, that are in the off, office, um, a lot of that got washed away when we went remote. Um, what it left was kind of this reality of, of maybe a not so great place to work. Uh, for a lot of people, you know, maybe you're just hanging on or, or, or people are hanging on waiting for the pandemic to end. Um, and so, you know, maybe I think there is probably given what we've gone through in this like a year of reflection um, and a huge shift. Um, there may be a pent up demand. Um, and I think that, you know, the workplaces that kind of really embrace that great place to work attitude or, or culture um, have the ability to, to kind of really drive, facilitate, embrace health, wellness, happiness. Um, and they're going to take advantage of this shift uh, in mindset. Um, and they're going to attract some, some pretty awesome people into the workplace. So, 
it kind of the way I wrap this up is that, you know, for most of us, you know, regardless of what we do or what industry or we're in, you know, and then because of the amount of time we spend in the workplace, we want to come to work feeling fulfilled, safe, sense of contribution. Um, and I always kind of think about it as, you know, it's, it's, it's not about the paycheck per se, it's what the paycheck allows us to do. Um, and so that's why I think that the workplace is this very logical conduit to health and wellness. Um, and it's, it has this natural connection, which I think flows out of the way the workplace has shifted and kind of looking forward. So, you know, what, why is the workplace a natural conduit? Again, we spend a ton of time there. Um, so, you know, why not? Uh, for many of us, it's part and parcel of, of, you know, our purpose or meaning, like we do what we do because it's the, it's the things that we're passionate about or that we're interested in. And so we choose to invest our time uh, in the workplace. Uh, it's probably already connected to many aspects, aspects of health and wellness. Uh, so a lot of workplaces will have employee benefits programs. So we're, we probably are, right, are already getting some of the basics covered uh, through those programs. So it's a natural extension of those. Um, the workplace can be the cause of um, wellness or the de deterioration of wellness in terms of things like stress. Uh, so I think it's a natural fit that it, that it would sort of work in a positive way. As I said, it has a value for the investor. So the employee side of the equation, uh, it has huge value. So if I'm trying to choose where I'm going to invest my time and my talent, and my skills, um, you know, I want to go to a place where they're going to facilitate and drive some of these things that are related to health, wellness and happiness. Uh, it has huge value for the business. Uh, this is a no brainer. Um, uh, in terms of attracting and retaining employees, but all the other things it does for culture and productivity uh, and cost, you know, we could go, I could do a whole presentation on, on sort of the very technical pieces uh, and the ROI of, of wellness. Um, the workplace can also be a community. So when we think about things like health and wellness, um, you know, it's very much a community driven support. There's a natural support network that's, that's already in place. And the last piece is that it's a, it, the, the workplace can definitely act as a hub. So all of the different interconnected pieces that kind of drive wellness, um, a lot of those um, either come out of the workplace or the workplace can be a hub to connect them all together. So um, what's the opportunity then that's kind of in front of us right now? It's what I would call wellness 2.0. Um, so it's kind of wellness, I, I would think of it as it's wellness beyond kind of this nice little add on. Um, it's a massive opportunity to, to make a difference in the lives of the employees, their families, the community, but doing so using, again, the way I framed it at the start, using data, using science, using technology, using all of those things uh, that are available to us today or potentially available to, to us in the future. Um, to drive sort of all of those positive outcomes. First, before I go into kind of the 2.0 piece, um, I just a few comments on why I think what I would call like the, the traditional wellness 1.0 is, is broken. Um, again, this is a little bit of a broad brush, so uh, it's not necessarily that, that it's broken. I would say maybe it's either ineffective or let's just say that there are opportunities to improve. First, you know, the traditional approach is, is a little bit of a shotgun approach. Um, we call it the spray and pray philosophy. So it's not necessarily targeted. Um, it can be very expensive uh, to build these types of programs because they're, they are very broad. 
Um, and generally, I would say that, that they have very la little lasting impact uh, because it assumes everybody's in the same boat. Everybody will need the same types of things. And so what this that leads us to is kind of this, this second issue with why with 1.0 um, is that things like health, wellness and happiness are definitely not a one size fits all uh, solution. And so, you know, it has, you know, the, when we think about, you know, something like a lunch and learn on nutrition might be super interesting, but has very little meaning to me personally, doesn't have a lot of context, doesn't have a lot of relevance. Um, we're all very unique. Um, and, you know, as creatures, we're just, we're really not that simple. Um, and so, you know, when I think about wellness, um, it's complex. So we're complicated, we're complex creatures. Um, health, wellness, happiness, it's multivariate, it's evolving, it's super messy. Um, it's hard to kind of pin down uh, what things are. Um, and I've listed kind of down the side there, like the, and this probably is not the all encompassing list. There's probably other factors that, that we would sort of throw under the umbrella of wellness. Um, but it covers a broad spectrum of areas. Uh, the areas are, they're all interconnected, um, you know, in, in different ways. They drive our needs across many levels. We've all seen this, the pyramid uh, on the right-hand side, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, you know, wellness is kind of intertwined throughout uh, those different needs. And I'm gonna use an example here of a, you know, um, kind of the, uh, the physical wellness. So if you think just about physical health, if you think about an individual that has a chronic health condition, so a significant kind of serious chronic health condition that significantly impairs their quality of life, um, they're probably, um, from a wellness perspective, they're at the bottom of the pyramid. So this is a pure physiological need. So having wellness or being able to manage that condition, that's a very baseline fundamental need for that person. Flip that, up, flip that on its head and think about maybe an Olympic athlete. Um, physical wellness for an Olympic athlete, athlete, that's top of the pyramid stuff. So that's self-actualization. That's somebody trying to reach their kind of the maximum of their, their true potential. And so, you know, wellness is very much an individual thing. Um, and it's, it's more, um, you know, it's very much individual and more and more, you know, as individuals, um, you know, if you think about a lot of the other areas of our life, um, we kind of have come to this expectation of, of things being customized uh, for us each individually. Um, and, you know, that's I, when I think about this, you know, kind of the, the lead into kind of wellness as a very much an individual thing, unique to each individual person. Um, but this individual customization is, is something that we've come to expect um, and it works. So if you think about kind of the technology side of things, if you think about something like Amazon, anybody who use Amazon, you always get the, you know, you might like this, you bought this, you might like this. Uh, same thing with Netflix. Um, you know, you, you have these customized, these recommendations that come out based on past behaviors. Uh, Facebook's another one. Um, I'm always afraid when I go into Google to do a search um, of kind of what Google thinks I need based on my past behavior. So, you know, sometimes that can be a little scary uh, in terms of what, what might pop up in your Google search bar. Or as a parent, if you've ever uh, ever gone onto the uh, the laptop of, of, a, of your kid and it's going to pop up based on their past history, but um, you never know. So when I think about that, though, this individual customization, where it leads me is is kind of, again, 
this 2.0 concept. So, um, so if our workplace is shifting, so if our connection to the workplace is shifting, uh, if employee health, wellness, happiness is this huge opportunity for employers to create great places to work, where people will want to be uh, when they when they think about that, like where do I want to invest my time? Um, and if our approach to wellness, if we kind of think that it's a little bit broken or somewhat in, ineffective, and if at the core, you know, we, we agree that we need to drill down uh, when we're talking about health, wellness, and happiness uh, to the individual, well, individual level, what does wellness 2.0 look like? And so what I've got here is these are five interconnected concepts uh, that I think uh, are going to drive uh, or be a big part of wellness 2.0. So again, this is very much a perspective kind of outlook in terms of going forward, not a tactical uh, piece, but I think the, you know, these five concepts are things that, are, that I think will be like interwoven into uh, what, are, what are these types of programs will look like going forward. So first and foremost is, is behavioral science. Um, so for most of us, you might think you're in control of, of your decision-making, uh, but science definitely tells us uh, it's far more complicated th than that. Um, a lot of the things we do, a lot of the decisions we make uh, are a lot of the, the things that motivate us. It's pure biology, um, you know, it's complex. Uh, a lot of the decision-making uh, processes that we go through are truly automated at the biological level. Um, it's a product of evolution and survival uh, things that we that we've evolved and developed over you know a millennia uh, in terms of to being able to stay alive and thrive and and a lot of those things actually no longer really service uh, maybe as well as they did in the past um, but definitely when you think about you know health wellness happiness um, it, it is embedded in kind of like people making positive changes are embedded in the idea of behavioral science um, and I put a few examples here, like I could put on, a, I could put up a huge list of, of topics um, or areas that are, are under this umbrella of behavioral science. Things like habit change, the science of habit change or neuroplasticity, kind of the rewiring of the brain um, or the science behind things like resilience. Um, you see a lot of that, in, you know, throughout COVID in terms of, of things like resilience, where you could attend a webinar on resilience, but science would tell us that it's that it's a far more complex and, and a, a much longer process. Um, but the one example I wanted to put on here, which is like really simple, uh, comes out of our industry is the idea of nudge theory that, that is an example of the power of behavioral science. Um, and it comes out of the world of, of like employee pensions. Uh, so the, the employer sponsored pension plans. And uh, there's a great study uh, that showed, or there's a number of studies. And, and I think the original one, the author won a Nobel prize, but it, on nudge theory where um, just small things that can nudge people um, in the right direction. And so in, in, the, uh, in this study, basically what they did is the typical pension plan is you're hired at a workplace. They have a pension plan that's voluntary. So you can choose to participate or not. Um, and if you choose to participate, you enroll in the plan. Um, so what they did in this kind of baseline uh, study is that they, and instead of having employees opt into the pension plan, um, they were automatically opted in. And so the employee actually had to go in and make a choice to opt out of the pension plan if they did not participate. And so essentially the outcome of that, of, of these types of studies is that it drives, typically it drives about a 30 to 40% increase in participation in a pension plan. 
And so a small change as of an opt-out instead of an opt-in can have a massive impact. If you think about somebody who is going to a new employer, young person, 25 years old, this literally could, uh, by enrolling in the pension plan, could literally put them on a path towards kind of a, a very safe, solid retirement uh, and, a, and financial planning process that they may have not opted into just because of the resistance of, I have to opt in, um, I forgot, it's not worth my time. But kind of the, the big sort of takeaway here is just the, the point here is that the any programs, if we think about 2.0, any programs that we build or anything that's developed has to have, you know, these, these behavioral science theories kind of deeply ingrained. So again, it's driving back to that thing I started about, I talked about at the start is that it's, it has to be evidence-based. Um, it has to be based on the behavioral science. This has to be the core of anything uh, that we do. The second is gamification. So gamification kind of builds on that, uh, the, the behavioral science framework. Um, it's think about gamification as hacking into our natural systems to encourage participation, engagement, adherence. Social media companies like Facebook and, and those kind of things have, have perfected the art of capturing our attention uh, and keeping it using uh, these concepts. Uh, we can use those same strategies for good and to drive the behaviors that we're looking for. Um, I've seen this tons throughout COVID. You know, when I think about gamification, the, some of the examples I put here are, are you know, it's, it's the, the reward for participation. Um, you know, it's the points, uh, it's company-wide campaigns. It's being able to sort of track your progress kind of day in and day out. Um, it's that constant reform, reinforcement where, you know, it's an app or it's a notification or it's a reminder that you might get. Um, there's been a ton of these kind of virtual challenges uh, that throughout COVID that have, you know, trying to keep people active, either individually that people have signed up for or, or through their companies. Um, but this weekend, um, as an example, uh, I'm running a race that's called Around the Bay. Uh, Around the Bay is it's a 30 kilometer race uh, in Hamilton. So it's been vir it's virtual this year. Um, it's the oldest road race in North America. Um, they've had to cancel it obviously this year because of COVID, uh, but you can still participate virtually. When I submit my confirmation at the end of the race, I get the same stuff that I would have gotten had I participated on race day. So I get the t-shirt, I get the medal, um, I kind of get all of the little package of stuff that I normally would get once I confirm that I've, I've participated. So in the absence of kind of all those things, had I just signed up and said, yeah, I'm gonna do this on this day um, on my own, maybe I train for it, maybe I don't, uh, but, but when I build in some of the, these gamification pieces, I'm definitely going to do it. You know, I, I want that reward. Uh, that's part and parcel of, of kind of signing up for it and, and getting the reward for all the hard work. The third piece uh, is data integration and consolidation. Uh, so to me, this is the massive opportunity. So number one and number two are uh, like really baseline concepts. They're here today. Um, this third is, is something that I think we're, we're really just kind of brushing the surface of. Um, you know, we've got more data available to us than ever before. Um, we have the ability to like, we have the technology and we have the ability to kind of consolidate and organize all of that data and drill it down into like each, again, this is getting into the, the, the customization piece, but being able to sort of drive that down to, to individual people. 
or individual customization for people. Um, and if you think about the different sources of data that we have out there right now, it's like a lot of people have wearables. You have a Fitbit, a Fitbit or a Garmin or an Apple watch that's tracking kind of your steps or your activity or your fitness. Um, we have a lot of very condition specific apps. And so if you think about, uh, you know, I have a colleague in my office who's type one diabetic. Um, he's got a, uh, basically a program where he can, can 24 seven monitors, blood glucose shows up on his app. Um, he can add in other things throughout his day. And so, you know, there's this very um, sophisticated program that helps him kind of manage that as opposed to sort of the trial and error approach you might have had in the past. We have data from, from our benefits plans. We have data from biological markers of things like blood work. Um, the, the issue we have right now and why I feel that like there, there is the, such power in, in pulling all this together um, but the issue right now is we just, we don't have great tools or hubs to pull all these things together and then consolidate them. So there's this massive spread of data, but just how do we, we, we have the ability to analyze it, but there's just not a ton of tools or resources yet uh, where we can pull this stuff together. So the data is all over the place. Uh, it's messy, but we're really not that far off of, of kind of tapping into the potential of, of this concept. The fourth piece uh, is AI, um, and I know there's lots of talk about AI, artificial intelligence across a lot of different sectors and industries. But in this setting, you know, AI has the ability to take those first three concepts, you know, so the idea of gamification and behavioral science and all of that data, it's the tool that's going to pool all this together. Um, and the great thing, though, is the, or I guess the power of AI is that not only can it pull those, those first three concepts together, it can do it at scale. Um, so we can do it at scale, it can, uh, it can do it on the fly, and it can evolve um, as the, the data inputs and, and things change for each individual person. And so in this kind of a setting, AI can be a personal coach, constantly providing support, feedback, direction, guidance. So it's taking in all of that sort of information and, and pulling it in together. Not only is it, is it impressive in terms of some of the things that are already available or, or that are happening uh, on the wellness side of things using AI, but it's super cheap. Uh, so again, you go back to, you know, the, I talked about the, the 1.0 and a lot of those programs being very expensive. Um, in the grand scheme of things, uh, AI and what it has the ability to do is, is super cheap. Um, there are sort of a caveat to this is that there are a whole host of kind of questions and issues that we get into when we start sort of touching on the idea of AI. Um, you know, things like privacy, um, who owns the data, who has access to the data. If I'm pulling in data from multiple sources, who can see that? Um, what's the security associated with, the, associated with that? Um, and then the other pieces I think are just, you know, it's early days, but in terms of like the complexity and the validity of the data. So, you know, do we really trust that the AI is, has the ability to make uh, the right decisions? So at this point, I think it's, you know, it's better to view AI as a guide, um, but for sure there's some of these other, other things, other issues that we need to address. So it's, it's definitely not without its warts. And then the last piece uh, that I'm going to talk about is uh, portability. And so, you know, when I think about, you know, the first three or four points that are on concepts that are on here are very technical, uh, again, very tactical in terms of, of driving out uh, outcomes. Um, 
but this one's kind of an on its own um, and I think a little bit of, of a different issue. It does sort of follow it a little bit from the AI stuff, um, but it's kind of the concept of who, who owns the data. Um, and so who owns all of this information? Um, and if there is this power in, in pulling all of the behavioral science and, and the data together is, um, you know, can I take it with me? Um, and so portability, I think, is, is will be an important part of whatever we consider like this wellness 2.0. Um, and that portability has a huge benefit to everybody. You know, if I'm, if I'm an employee and I'm coming to a new organization, if I can take all of that stuff with me wherever I go, um, there's huge power in that. Um, I don't have to restart uh, every time I come to a new, orga new organization. Um, for the employer, obviously there's value. You have people coming already sort of with that mindset. Um, and I also think that there is some, uh, you know, when we think about, you know, the growing uh, gig economy or contract workers, um, the ability for somebody to kind of plug and play all of those different pieces uh, without having it being tied to a workplace or one specific hub is that I kind of own my information and I can take it kind of wherever I go. Um, so, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, those are obviously super high level. Um, there's a lot of work to be done to drill those down. Um, but if you kind of think about it as, as, you know, if those are kind of the, some of the key components to this wellness 2.0 um, and the opportunity, then, then now what? Like, where do you start? You know, the, the, those are some pretty high level concepts. And so it uh, can be a little overwhelming. And so what I wanted to give you just maybe, again, I'm not going to get prescriptive here in terms of this is what you should do. These are the steps. Um, but what I wanted to do in terms of the action plan is to kind of lay out a little bit of an idea of like why it's urgent um, and where you might want to start um, so that there's some there's some drivers here for, you know, um, why should I think about those five concepts and, you know, is this a two year down the road kind of thing? Or do I wait and see uh, until this is fully developed? Or is there kind of a need for me to get started on this stuff today? Um, and so I'm gonna make the case here in a couple of slides in terms of, of like why it's urgent um, and maybe some things that you can start on that maybe we consider that are low hanging fruit that are would, that would be in a sort of hybrid of, of the 1.0 and 2.0 uh, models together. So the first, um, there's kind of two areas that I'm going to touch on here uh, where employers can have a huge impact. Um, there are a bunch of tools uh, that are available and resources that are available to tap into both 1.0 and 2.0 concepts. Um, so the first, I mean, I call them these two topics, I call them the impactables. Uh, and so the first one uh, is mental health, which is, you know, everybody is, there's a ton of awareness. So everybody's aware of kind of the, the, the power of of mental health and the impact that's had um, pre-COVID, you know, the stats would say probably one in five Canadians will experience some sort of mental health problem or challenge uh, in a given year. 56% um, of Canadians have reported uh, an increase in stress or anxiety due to COVID. So if you kind of take that baseline of one in five, for sure uh, the stats are worse. And that's definitely borne out that each successive wave, as you, as you look at the research, um, each wave that we've had, so we're now in kind of this third wave, um, and when they do surveys and, and studies on the impact that that has on uh, mental health, um, the stats get worse uh, each wave that we go through. 
Um, and in terms of like what that means in terms of outlook, 80% um, of people in Ontario believe that there's a mental health crisis coming post pandemic. So again, we're trying to create kind of this, this urgency around, you know, should I wait for some of those 2.0 concepts to be available or should I be doing something about this right now? And so, you know, the, the stats here would tell you that, you know, the time is now. Um, this is definitely a priority or should be a priority for individuals and employers. And again, we go back to the kind of the biology side of this is that for most of us, uh, the last year has been at some level, um, a prolonged period of stress. Um, and when we have stress, we have this natural fight or flight response. Our body has a reaction to that. And the that kind of natural reaction to stress um, is we have a whole bunch of biological processes that get triggered, um, but they're intended to be triggered for short term. We've got stress, trigger the biological response, the stress is gone, everything goes back to normal. However, uh, when you have this overexposure, so if you have people who deal with ongoing chronic stress, um, there's a whole host of health problem problems above and beyond mental health that fall out of that. Um, things like heart disease, uh, weight gain, you know, impairment of memory concentration, like tons of very physical problems that come out of kind of the mental health side of things. And, and for most of us, you know, at some level, the last year has had, has been kind of that prolonged period of stress. It's either at the workplace or at home or, you know, juggling kids working remote or going to school remote. Like all of those things have added this layer of stress that we, I think, you know, my wife and I always kind of joke about this is that when COVID first hit, we thought, oh, we got to wait two weeks uh, until things go back to normal. Well, here we are a year plus later and, and it's kind of been just this ongoing stressor. So, Without a doubt, uh, there's a tsunami coming. Uh, nobody's gonna be, avoid it. Uh, so if it's not you and, and you've been able to kind of escape uh, the load of stress that has come down the last year, it might be a family member, it might be a kid, um, but regardless of whatever industry that we're in, um, you know, nobody is gonna avoid kind of the tsunami. So um, there's a call to action here in terms of, of mental health and getting some of these uh, 2.0 concepts and the 1.0 concepts that might, might help uh, in place now. The second area uh, that I wanted to talk about in the yep, impactables are lifestyle diseases. And so um, there's basically four, this is World Health uh, Organization data, but there's basically four risk factors, uh, alcohol, smoking, an unhealthy diet and physical activity that result in four chronic diseases. So lifestyle diseases, cancer, respiratory disease, diabetes, cardiovascular disease that are responsible for 60% of deaths worldwide. So as much as mental health is an impactable and there's some urgency, um, the second phase of this in terms of this, uh, the other piece that is immediately impactable, um, and there's probably more of a direct line be between some of the tools and resources that we have in place today to this second impactable area is that we have the ability to directly impact uh, a bunch of these uh, resources or a bunch of these lifestyle diseases. These are all preventable through behavior change. Um, they're all kind of primed for that uh, 2.0 of the concepts of 2.0 in terms of, of making changes. As the employer, uh, in terms of, again, the urgency of what you get, um, I'm, this is a no brainer. You know, I'm not going to rehash all of these. Like these are very tangible 
kind of proven uh, outcomes uh, related to, to kind of employee wellness and in, in putting programs in place. Um, I would think of it this way. You know, if you've got 1.0 programs in place, you're going to get some of this stuff uh, as, a, as a fallout of those. Um, if, you, if you think about transitioning to like, what are some of those 2.0 concepts that, that we could put in place for, for health and wellness? You know, you're just going to put this stuff on steroids and you're going to get such a huge kick um, in terms of the outcomes. And I just think, you know, you, you think about mental health and you think about those impactable lifestyle diseases, you know, and then the opportunity coming out of COVID is that, you know, you, there's this massive opportunity uh, to be able to leverage uh, and just, you know, our, the concept of, of these webinars is, is kicking COVID to the curb um, and getting on the other side of the pandemic kind of firing on all cinder, cylinders. Well, you know, employee health, wellness, happiness, like this is, you know, is probably the biggest impact of, of uh, any area. So the natural question is, where do I start? And again, um, I could do a whole sort of webinar on kind of the prescriptive side of this that I, that I, that's not sort of the scope of today. Um, but I wanted to kind of wrap this up to give you some ideas in terms of like, where might you start? Um, and I always kind of think about, you know, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Um, don't overcomplicate it. Um, you know, this is maybe a little bit simplistic. Uh, but, you know, we, we always, I, I always also love the idea of like perfection is the enemy of progress. Um, so instead of thinking, well, I got to have all of those 2.0 concepts in place, or we have to go out and do a whole bunch of research, you know, I think given where we are and the environment we're in right now is, is like, let's not overcomplicate things. Like, let's just get started with something. Um, again, start, start now. Uh, there are a ton of programs, uh, tools, resources that are available today that have these quasi 2.0 features to them. Um, you know, my world in the world of employee benefits, um, most programs, most providers have these tools built in. A lot of employers don't even know that they exist or, or don't really know where to start. So, you know, again, it's this idea of, of not overcomplicating it and just getting started. And if this is not your area of expertise, reach out, get some help um, and get the ball rolling. So on that note, uh, that's kind of the end of, of uh, my session. I leave you with the question of what will you do? Um, I love the idea of, you know, never, never let a good crisis go to waste. And uh, um, <laughs> that's the takeaway. So um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. If people have questions, uh, there's my contact information. And I'm happy to chat about this in, in any shape or form. Are you able to take questions now, Chad? Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't kind of watching to see if we had any, but we got about. I don't. Yeah, I don't see any. Them. I don't see any in the chat box or Q and A's. But if you wanted to add them or shout out anything, um, this would be a great opportunity. So, uh, Julie Gibson, hello, Julie, and great information. Very inspiring. Thank you, Chad. So good. Nice to see your name again, Julie. We don't see each <laughs> other anymore because of COVID. <laughs> so weird. So. It's going to be fun when, when uh, we can actually do uh, meetings in person again. It's going to, I, I imagine it's going to take forever to, like, it'll be that networking time and then someone yeah. will be trying to get the program started. We'll go, Listen, I haven't talked to this person in you know, 18 yeah. months, so yeah. you can talk later. I want to talk to them. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So uh, next week, uh, same, same uh, time, same place is uh, Canary in the Coal Mine, how COVID has created financial awareness. So I believe a couple of members from your team are in that one, Chad, correct? Yep. 
Yep. Yep. Okay. So we're going to have a kind of a, it, it, it'll be a different format than the first couple of webinars. So uh, more of a panel uh, format, you know, financial wellness of a kind of, it rolls out of just like this topic rolled out of your topic on culture. The, the financial wellness piece definitely rolls out of, out of this one this week. And, and uh, I think we'll be a little bit more interactive and back and forth with, uh, with the with three advisors. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's great. Appreciate it, Chad. Great insights today. Always fun to learn a little bit more about this topic. And we probably could have had you go on for about six or seven hours, but <laughs> much like culture last week for me and uh, yep. next week for the Save with Oso. So, um, yeah. all right. Thanks for that. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. All right. Thanks, everyone, for your time. Have a great day. Go get your shot. <laughs> anyway, talk to you soon. Bye for now.